Hi, and welcome back to Shellyville. So glad to have you join me tonight. This is going to be a great story tonight. I'm really excited to talk about my son. I was hoping he could join me tonight on tonight's podcast, but he's not able to um, get here tonight. So we're just going to talk about his story, which is really one of the main reasons why I am a therapist. It is, you will understand a lot more about me once I get through the story. Um, This one is going to be a little bit more personal, so I want to take time to just really sit with this story and let you understand why this is so important to me. Jackson was born about a month after 9-11, and for those of us that are over 20 years of age, we know what 9-11 was like. I don't think there was ever a time in my life where I was more shocked or depressed or sad by an event that was going on. And I really think that for some reason, that moment in time had an impact on my pregnancy with Jackson. I was nine months pregnant with him. And I remember sitting there after watching the first plane hit the tower, that I didn't know if I wanted to have a child at that time, let alone a boy. I was really worried for our nation. I was really worried about a lot of things at that time. Um, Jackson is my second child, so I already knew how to be pregnant. I already knew what to expect. I was kind of excited about my boy being born. But after 9-11, my heart dropped. And I really wonder sometimes if that wasn't just a phenomenon that was going to have a negative impact on my child and in myself. Um, I know I really struggled afterwards wanting to be happy. It took me a minute to get excited for Jackson's birth. And after he was born, he was a he was a beautiful little baby. But I will remember that, you know, my family was worried about me. I was really seriously depressed when I was pregnant with him. And everyone was like, you're going to hurt the child. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to hurt the baby. I'm, I'm going to be fine. I knew there was something about my pregnancy with Jackson that was just off. It was difficult. It was a little bit harder. I was not really myself the entire time I was pregnant. But after I had him, I felt fantastic. I was so relieved. He was this beautiful little baby boy. He was so sweet. He was just a really good cuddler. But there was something about Jackson that was just a little bit off. We noticed that he never smiled. He very rarely smiled. And I also noticed that when I was breastfeeding him, he never fell asleep. He never like settled down. Not that he was fussy. He wasn't a big crier. He just was always alert and always awake, and he never had the need for sleep, which was really no big deal because it was like, okay, I mean, he wasn't crying, so I thought it wasn't that bad, but it it was something that stuck with me. It was something that really stayed with me, like, why doesn't this baby need more sleep? Why is he always up? Why is he so alert? Because that was very different than, you know, Savannah. But as time went on, um, Jackson became a normal little toddler. He did all those things that little boys did, like to play with trains, like to play with cars, like to be outside. But what he didn't like was me. Jackson didn't like to be alone with mom. For some reason, when he was with me, he was very angry. And it wasn't a normal anger. I mean, I can deal with kids being angry, but this was the kind of irritability that didn't really make sense. When Jackson was alone with me, he would often tell me 
that I was stupid or that he hated me. Now, this was language that a toddler doesn't really hear. This is language that a little boy, I wasn't speaking this way. We didn't speak about hate in my family. We're a very loving family. So I really couldn't understand Jackson's anger. It really made no sense to me. And I tried to get Jackson to... um, you know, obviously, you, you talk to him, you, I was kind, I was learning how to behave with him, I was trying to do everything I could to make sure that he wasn't angry. I even went to our pediatrician, I'm like, help me, how do I help this baby like me more? Like, what can I do as a parent to make my son, my son like me? And he's like, you just got to be kind, you just got to be quiet with him, maybe he's just more sensitive, you have to take a little bit more quiet time with him. And I did everything I possibly could, but I could never make Jackson feel safe around me. And as Jackson developed into his threes, and he got terrible nightmares, and he just started to develop this anger that made no sense. And I was really, really concerned about him. I know, um, A lot of it now I can look back at it and think he was really suffering, but I didn't realize how much he was suffering until he went into school. When he was five, we put him in preschool and, or actually in kindergarten, and it was his kindergarten teacher that kept saying, you know, Jackson's not like the other kids. There's something going on with him. He kind of just like blanks out and he's, he's not engaged like the rest of the class. And I really couldn't understand what that was about because he seemed perfectly fine. He was fine when we would go out places. He would smile. He'd laugh. But he wasn't really super happy with me. And the anger towards me was very frustrating for me because I couldn't understand what was going on with Jackson. Why was he so angry? Why was he so mad? How could he be so unhappy with mom? And this was, I mean, I couldn't do the littlest things. I couldn't get him dressed. I couldn't cook for him. I couldn't give him a bath. I could not be alone with my son. So during the day, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm with Jackson 24-7 pretty much, and he cannot stand to be with me. If I take him out of the house and we leave the home, He's perfectly fine. He's like a completely different kid. He's laughing. He's smiling. He's at ease. He feels okay. And I never understood why is like, what did I do? What could I possibly have done to make this boy so angry with me? Well, come to find out it wasn't anger that Jackson was having towards me. It was absolute fear. Because we couldn't handle Jackson's emotions, his defiance was getting out of control, his anger was getting out of control, we sent him to the pediatrician. The pediatrician is like, this is beyond me. He's going to need more advanced help. We took him to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist put him in front of a therapist. And the therapist was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but after she played, she, she did some play therapy with Jackson for a little bit, we discovered that Jackson actually was hearing voices. And the voices were telling Jackson that he was going to kill me in my sleep and that this little boy was going to go get knives in the other room and he was going to kill me. And my little kid couldn't be around me because he was so afraid he was going to kill me. And I didn't know that. I just thought he was being such a little shit. Like, why are you being so angry at me? Mom is just here to get you what you need. But he could not verbalize the voices. He could not verbalize the hallucinations. He didn't have that language. And it was his therapist that discovered that for us. 
And we were very fortunate. I, we were very fortunate to get him into a hospital. We put him into Havenwick Hospital. And they put him on a, a, a medicine called Risperdal. And once he was on Risperdal, the voices started to go away. He later told us that Alex was the name of the voice. And the voice um, was a monster. And he could draw pictures of it. I mean, he literally could draw pictures of this thing called Alex that told him that he was going to kill me in my sleep. I mean, how do you, how do you as a parent listen to your child who's five years old with homicidal wishes? Like it was beyond anything I'd ever experienced. And yeah, I grew up with mental illness. It ran in my family, but it didn't run like this. It never ran, ran this hard. And we put him in school. He did the day program. He was on Risperdal for a good solid week. And then eventually the voices disappeared. He said they stopped. He stopped hearing them. It took Jackson almost a year before he could tell me he loved me. It took him that long to feel safe around me, which is just <laughs> a long time to lose that connection with your child. But man, in that year, I read every single book there was on mental health. I read every book I could find on bipolar disorder because what they discovered is that Jackson had bipolar one, which is bipolar with psychosis, which is basically the psychosis is a visual or an auditorial hallucinations. He had the irritability. He had the tantrums. He had the defiance. He had the... Um, threats of suicide. Here's a little baby, you know, not really suicidal towards himself, but homicidal towards me, which is really a very, almost a very unique situation. Because how do you see that in another child? You don't even, I, I didn't even know that a little kid could think that way. I had no idea that my baby could actually think that he could hurt me in the sense that he could kill me. When I look back, now it makes sense why he was two different children. He was so different to Brian that Brian could never understand where I was coming from. He always thought I was going to make Jackson crazy because he thought I was crazy because I was complaining so much. I wasn't complaining. I just knew something was so wrong with Jackson that it never made sense. Like I couldn't make any sense to what was going on. And I am so grateful to the doctors. I'm so grateful that we finally got him put on medicine. But you know what didn't really get better? Jackson. Even though he was put on Risperdal and the voices went away, bipolar did not. And his whole life he has been in this dark place where he has got voices that don't make sense. He has things that... You know, he doesn't even tell me sometimes anymore because he's like, Mom, you don't, he goes, you don't want to know. He goes, you don't want to know what I think. You don't want to know what I feel. He's like, it's not good for you. <laughs> he's always trying to protect me now, even even though he's going to be 21 years old. And this is what makes this such a unique story for me and why I became a therapist is because he begged me when he was a little boy. He's like, Mom, he goes, I want you to be my therapist. I want you to help me with this. And I'm like, Jax, I can't help you, but I can help somebody. And he really is the reason why I went back to school to get my master's. He really is the reason why I care so much about clients that suffer because I know 
you can be born with a mental illness. This is not something that is developed because something bad happened. Maybe 9-11 had an influence. Maybe that depression that I experienced influenced it somehow. But I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't have any facts. I can have my gut. I can kind of think that it might be related. I certainly have felt guilty enough about it over the years to think that I caused it. But really, I don't know if I did or not. I don't know if it was just genetics and I got a raw deal and Jackson got a raw deal. I remember when he was little, you know, him having such bad days, Savannah couldn't understand it. And the way I explained it to Savannah, I said, Savannah, every day you and I wake up, we get to see sunshine. I said, every day Jackson wakes up, it's a cloudy, rainy day. I said, he doesn't get to see things the way that we do. He doesn't have hope. He doesn't have sunshine. He doesn't have all the positive things that you and I look forward to and take for granted. And once I could explain it to her that way, she was much more forgiving of Jackson's negativity. She was much more acceptance Uh, accepting him for his moods and his darkness. Because how do you see a little kid miserable? Like she didn't understand it. She's three years older than him. It was a hard time for all of us. Because we didn't know how to manage all of that mood. It's a really, I'm so proud of him for who he's become now. But man, it was a lot of work and a lot of hell. And we've had a lot of trouble um, just getting him to where he is today. Like he's not he's not the normal kid and he never will be. I don't know if he'll ever be able to highly function in society. And I'm comfortable saying that because at least he's alive. Like at some point when a kid is so suicidal and has such homicidal wishes, all you want is for that person to find peace. All you want is for that person to be alive for one more day. One more day. Give me one more day. Please let this be a good day. And that's how I've lived for the last 20 some years with Jax. Just give me one more day. Just let me have this one more day. That is why he is so important to me. And that is why I have the career I have because I need just one more day. Um, this is a serious mental illness and it takes it takes people's lives like it truly interferes with the quality of life and there's no other thing that we can do than other try to understand it and it's such a very complicated thing to understand a mental illness at that level at that age is very very difficult so I just wanted to, to, to share that story because I think it's a huge part of who I am. It's, um, I mean, there's a lot of hope in it. As much as it breaks my heart, as much as it destroyed my marriage, I mean, I have to say I couldn't really live. Like, it, it tore us apart. There is, I love Brian. I love my ex-husband. But after 10 years of the struggle and what we went through, we just fell apart. We lost we lost each other. Like there's no other way to say it. Um, The mental illness became too much. And honestly, as a stay at home mom, I really needed to get back out into the working world. But Jackson was so much 
work, and I was always being called into school. I was always his biggest advocate. I couldn't work. I didn't have time to work a job. I was trying to keep him off, you know, jumping out of the buildings from school and keeping him from, you know, beating up teachers and getting, I mean, I can't even tell you the things that we did with that kid. It was intense. It, it It was so hard to parent a child with the death wish. I mean, just keeping him alive, just having the teachers understand that, listen, this is not... This is not normal defiance. This is not because this kid hates you. This is because this kid hates himself. I mean, this is a miserable child who is suffering, and we are all kind of at the mercy of it. I mean, I really, I remember calling, having a teacher call the cops on him. I remember having the police pick him up. I remember just so many things that we've had to experience with him that a normal, you don't have with normal kids. And yeah, okay, so my kid is special, but... I just wanted to keep him alive. That was the main, the main thing that I wanted to do. And it was a full time job. It was all I could do to take care of him. So I did. <laughs> and somehow, some way, I managed to get my kid. Like every year when he had a birthday, I was like, Oh, my God, we made it one more year, one more year. And he is about to turn 21. And I am so excited that to think that for the last 20 years, I don't have to work as hard as I did, because now I handed it back over to him. Actually, when he was about 16, I couldn't take it anymore. Like I was so burned out by the care level that I was extending myself. I mean, I'm shoot, I think I stopped breathing at some point. I kind of told Jackson, I said, listen, I said, we've managed to get here. We've managed to get to 16. I said, at some point, you're going to start taking over responsibility for your mental illness. You're going to have to be the one that understands that you need the medicine, that you need the therapy. I can't do it for you anymore. And I said, at this point, if you do hurt yourself, that is going to be your full responsibility. It is not going to be because mom and dad didn't do anything for you. And I think when I finally put it back in his hands, he started to take better control of his mood swings. He started to realize that he had a responsibility to himself. And those were some of the better years that we had with Jackson. He really did have quite a few years, uh, maybe three or four years that were the most stable for him. He wasn't quite as violent. He was managing school. He was doing okay. And then COVID hit. (laughs) And he's got to stay home from school and he doesn't have a job anymore. And oh, man, what a change that was for us too. And honestly, I think just that whole period of the early, early, the kids being pulled out of school was too much. And I needed to get out of where I was at. And I moved to Grand Rapids was the greatest, most wild thing I've ever done. Pulled him out of school. I said, you're not going to school anyways. We might as well move to Grand Rapids and go someplace new. So we moved here to Grand Rapids. And he lasted about three months and went back to Brighton. And it's been a really huge adjustment because I was used to having Jackson around me every day. Now, he will tell you I yelled at him every day, but I don't think I yelled every day. I think it was just he didn't like the stress and he didn't like moving to Grand Rapids, which is okay. I understand. It was my move. I did this for me, and I understand that, and we've come to terms with it. But when you have a child that has such a high dramatic experience with you, 
you're constantly at the at the mercy of what he wants. And this is the first time in my life I'm doing what I want. And that's a really cool place to be at. So although bipolar has its ups and downs and it has its very sad moments, there's so much joy in it as well. And I always tell everybody, I said, you get to use the whole box of crayons. Like Jackson, you get all 64 colors. You get to color with everything. And if you want to be expressive, be expressive. I was never afraid of everything that he wanted to show me because I thought, what a gift he's giving me. And he taught me to love. He taught me to accept. And I am so grateful for Jackson's story because he is really why I consider myself a bipolar expert. It's not because my brother was a bipolar, not because I might be, but because Jackson showed me every single element of it. And that is what I wanted to share with you, that there's hope at the end of the tunnel, that there's not always a train coming at full speed, and that really you can do whatever you want to do with life if you just slow down, take take advantage of who's around you, ask for help, and don't be afraid to feel, feel the pain. Just sit with it. Because it is through pain that we grow. It is through pain that we understand that we're, we have value. And I grew the most as a human being through all that pain. And I'm really proud of Jackson. And I really wish he could join us tonight. So um, I will definitely be bringing him on in a on the next couple of episodes if I can get him over here. But I really appreciate you listening to my story. I know it's kind of hard to hear. I know it might be a little triggering for some. So please reach out if you've got questions. I'm more than willing to take them. You can reach me at ShellyvillePod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I appreciate you all. And I really hope you have a great night. Thanks for stopping in at Shellyville.